Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Overreaction Monday here on Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett Bradley Sal coming up in just a little bit. As is Ben Ingram because the Braves, my Braves, are in the National League Championship Series. He's a big old Miss guy, but he does play-by-play for the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. So we're going to dive into that, but I know what you tuned in for. The excitement after Ole Miss put a scare into Alabama on Saturday. Brad and I have got a ton of thoughts, some trending or ending. But before we get into it, let's hear from my bookie. Between the NFL, college football, and the Major League Baseball playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports teams and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. If you're the type of person who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real money maker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use my promo code, TOC, for Talk of Champions, TOC, to claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code TOC, Talk of Champions, TOC, for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. It's Monday, overreaction Monday, here on Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's Bradley Sal. It feels different today. There's a different air about the podcast today. And it usually wouldn't be like this, the sense of optimism, encouragement after Ole Miss loses to Alabama by 16 points and its defense allows Alabama to put up a 60 spot on them. But Ole Miss offensively absolutely rolled and did something to Nick Saban that has never been done before. And we're going to get all into it in just a little bit. Also, Ben Ingram. Big Ole Miss guy, play-by-play man for the Braves Radio Network. He's coming up on the Modern Women phone line. Why? Because the Atlanta Braves, my Atlanta Braves, start the NLCS today. A series win away from the World Series. So indulge me. Brad, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? You're fired up. I know you are. More than fired up, man. I was there at the game. Oh, my gosh. That was that was a fun game to be. That's the first one I've been at since maybe the Arkansas game a number of years ago. And that was, um, I, you can just feel the excitement around the stadium. That, that was a really fun game to be at. Ole Miss defensively, we knew it was going to be bad despite three consecutive horrific performances. No one's mad. No one's looking around going, God, man, what do you do about the defense? It's kind of cooked in that Ole Miss just doesn't have the talent. 
defensively to compete. And really, it's not fair to evaluate DJ Durkin and Chris Partridge at any point this year because of how bad the defensive talent is. So you knew that offensively, Ole Miss, if it was going to have a chance to pull off an upset, which was going to be a gargantuan upset if they could do it. They were just going to have to go toe-to-toe with them offensively, and that's exactly what they did. The numbers are absolutely insane. In scoring 48 points, Lane Kiffin tied the most ever given up by Alabama under Nick Saban since he arrived in Tuscaloosa. The most points an unranked team has scored against Alabama in the regular season since 1936. Those 647 yards, the most an Alabama defense has ever given up, beating the previous mark of 630 set by Auburn on November 29, 2014. 48 points tied the most scored by Ole Miss against Alabama. Ole Miss tallied 48 points in 1970 when number seven Ole Miss beat number 17 Alabama 48 to 23. The 647 total yards are sixth most in school history and most ever by an Ole Miss team in an SEC game. And going into Saturday, a Nick Saban-led team had only given up 100-plus yards and two touchdowns four times. Darren McFadden, Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley, Dante Smith. Both Snoop Connor and Jerion Ely accomplished that feat. It was incredible to watch. And that's why on this Monday, this overreaction Monday, which we do every single Monday because it's football season, that's why you're so encouraged. What they did offensively means that every game they play from this point forward, they're going to have an opportunity to win. But because of their defense, of course... Every game they play going forward, they're going to have an opportunity to lose. But that offense is just so encouraging, Brad. And far ahead of where anyone could have possibly expected it to be three games in. They were shredding Alabama. I mean, we were getting shredded as well, which that was that was more expected. But they were, I mean, they were absolutely shredding them. It was impressive. I mean, it's, it, the offense is getting better and better. And um, one, one thing, man, Lane Kiffin did not miss a beat. That was Honestly, I can't think of an, another Ole Miss game in my lifetime that was better called than that game. I mean, every time Alabama brought something or every time they had um, had a situation, Ole Miss had an answer for it. And it was it was impressive. I mean, they, they, they did not miss a beat or disappoint all game, and he couldn't have called a better game. So much so that post-game, Nick Saban accused Ole Miss of potentially stealing signs. To which Lane Kiffin responded on, I think it was like Sunday afternoon, there's no way they could have done that because, as Kiffin wrote on Twitter, when you go as fast as we do, we call our play first. Stealing signals wouldn't help us at all because we are snapping the ball while they were still trying to just line up. Hashtag facts. Hashtag come to the sip. But go back to the play calling. What made it so impressive? What I was so impressed by was how deceptive it was. I mean, most plays had some kind of jet motion, some kind of motion to throw the defense off on, on top of a run fake. And then, I mean, it, it, just some of the route concepts over the middle, some of the stuff versus man, um, some of the stuff versus zone. I feel like I feel like everything they brought, there was there was an answer built in for, which, which you don't see very much. But what I thought was also really cool was every time they found a weakness, they hustled up to the line and they, they just kept running the same play over again. I mean, you look at that run. They were running just a basic zone play to the left, and they had Alabama off guard, and they ran it three times in a row and just just absolutely gashed them. So it was tough to, to get a read. I mean, it, it even tricked me a couple of times watching it live. I mean, I was I was looking at the wrong guy that, that I thought had the ball. So, I mean, it was, it was some good stuff. Lane Kiffin is the ultimate showman. And on Monday, we were talking to him for his weekly press conference, and he was going through his whole spiel about Alabama coming up But he started to talk about how Ole Miss was struggling to run the football and how bad they had been or inconsistent they had been, basically laying it on thick that this Ole Miss running game, it's not very good. I'm not so sure. 
that he wasn't slow playing the run game just for Alabama. Knowing the showman that he is and what we saw, could you buy that he was kind of slow playing it just for Nick Saban? I could buy that, but I, I tell you what he did more than, than he's done all year. And that's, he really, he really stuck with the run. I mean, and he, there was multiple different concepts. He had zones, he had powers, he had a lot of misdirection stuff, which was, which was good, but he had them pretty gassed down there. And he, um, you know, he, he would hurry up to the line and call the same play, which I thought, thought was impressive. Yeah. He was committed to it there. There's no doubt about it. And I, I think he thought if he could get the run going, it would open up some of the, the deceptive play action type stuff that, that he was doing. So, um, yeah, he was committed to it and he stuck to it. I mean, we had 300 something yards rushing, um, and that was with minus 32 on this, on the snaps or so over the, the, the couple snaps that we had that were bad. I want to play some trending or ending, but before we do, Chuck Ronsville, my publisher at the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, the website that I write for, talked to two former defensive coordinators, one of which is Tommy Tuberville. The quotes about the defense pretty much encapsulate what all of us thought but is kind of confirmation. One said, it's hard to know exactly what the defensive coaches are trying to do from watching on TV, but I see nothing that is fundamentally unsound with the players from afar. It looks like they're being taught good fundamentals. Some of them just aren't good enough to execute the plays, and it only takes two or three on that side of the ball that can't get it done to disrupt the whole defense. It's apparent they're not getting their eyes in the right place at times, but most of the time, they're just getting blocked. The coaches are in a tough position because... There was no spring, no preseason games with weak OOC teams to figure things out. It was into the fire with Florida, Kentucky, and Alabama. And I buy that. And the one play that I think back to, it's second and goal from the 14. Back-to-back Alabama penalties. Ole Miss needs a stop. And on second and goal from the 14, Alabama ran an end around. And every single player on that side of the ball was one man blocked up. Poor Jamar Richardson at cornerback was getting slung around like a rag doll. Ole Miss simply does not have the horses defensively to hold up, and it's not going to get any better. But if your offense is going to perform like it has so far, you're still going to win your fair share, possibly even six or seven, considering as you look around the SEC, it's not that good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll try to watch the defense really close in person and there's not a ton of just just wide open busted coverage type of stuff out there, and you're right. It's just a lot of it's just physically losing, and you're gonna have to live with that. Cause that's just this is what it's gonna be. You know, you hopefully they get better and start trying to win more matchups. But I mean, I would I would say the same thing. I, I would say that there's not a ton of um, you know blown up missed stuff. It's just it's just straight up getting beat. We're in a situation we're in right now where we just we're not that loaded, and there isn't much depth over there. So. Um, you know, you got, you got to figure we have the, the two toughest teams behind us going forward. And, um, like I said earlier, man, I, there's a very good chance Ole Miss wins out this year. And I know it sounds crazy. But it sounds nuts, Brad, with that defense, there's going to be a game offensively where they don't score 30 to 40 points. Something goes wrong. There's a turnover, whatever. Matt Corral's playing perfect football. That's not going to be the case throughout the entire year. There's going to be a game where offensively, they're just not quite right. I don't think so. I really don't. I think this offense is built to built to put up thirty plus points, even on the on the average day. I mean, I think Kentucky game offense was was good, wasn't great. It wasn't you know it wasn't lights out, but it you know they they still managed to put up enough points to win that game. Um, they definitely certainly look better um, this game than they did the Kentucky week. And as we've seen, Kentucky has a pretty good defense. I mean, they they only allowed two points the following night. So um, just looking at all the other defenses, all the games coming up. I mean. We're going to be in them. If if not, we're going to get a hold of somebody at some point. It's going to be ugly. We're going to we're going to absolutely get a hold of them. So, I'm excited going forward. Word we got from another former Ole Miss defensive coordinator 
this defense echoing Tommy Tuberville, it's not fundamentally unsound. They just don't have any ability. This coach basically said, Wesley McGriff's defenses, those were fundamentally just complete dumpster fires. There was some talent. They just fundamentally were a mess. You can see fundamentally Ole Miss is in the right spots. They can't make the plays. And that comes back to personnel. And when I look at that field on any given play, I could probably count on less than one hand. Three fingers, maybe? SEC caliber players that are playing on the field for Ole Miss and trying to stop SEC offenses. Sam Williams is great, but Ole Miss at defensive tackle, it's not getting much of anything. And if it's not getting anything at defensive tackle, that causes problems for your linebackers, which then causes problems for your secondary. And Ole Miss at safety is not good. I think Keydron Smith is the only player in the secondary that I have any real confidence in. Which leads me into another edition on this Overreaction Monday of Trending or Ending. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with here, and I'm sick of it. According to Roger Sherman of The Ringer, Ole Miss's defense prevented 41 total yards of offense on Saturday night. As in 11 drives, they allowed nine touchdowns, forced a punt at the 40, and a fumble at the one, at their one. Going in, Ja'Cory Hawkins ripped the ball out of Najee Harris's hands. Alabama ran 43 plays on first down. On those plays, they were more likely to pick up another first down or score a touchdown. This happened 22 times. Then they were to have a play which brought up second down, which is 21 times. Almost lost despite having the best offensive game anybody has ever had against Nick Saban because DJ Durkin's defense allowed nine touchdowns on 11 drives. Now that the worst is behind them, they've played probably the three best teams on their schedule, certainly the two best in Florida and Alabama. Trending or ending an historically awful pace for this Ole Miss defense. I could see it ending just for the sheer fact. Like, I think you're right. We played, um, you know, Florida and, and Alabama are, are so talent, so much more talented than, than we are on, um, on their offense compared to our defense. I can see us getting a little better. Some of the, some of these games coming up, um, you know, Arkansas, you know, soccer, some, some of the ones coming up, I, I think we'll, we'll have a chance to, to bat kind of like we did versus Kentucky. We'll have a chance to make some stops. Um, you know, it's still going to, there's everybody's going to put up good numbers on us. It just is what it is. But I think that, um, I think we'll be to at least stop, you know, get some stops in, in these, in these next couple of games. I see that ending. Matt Corral is on pace for 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns. In my estimation, he's the best quarterback in the SEC. He's been everything Ole Miss needed him to be. He has a complete stranglehold on that job. He's left no doubt. So if JRP leaves at the end of the year, which I've heard is probably going to happen, whatever. The only way it comes into play is if Matt Corral, who's draft eligible, declares, which isn't unrealistic. If he stays on this pace, Brad, he's going to have a decision to make. He has a 210.7 pass rating. And you might be thinking to yourself, NFL draft, that sounds a little far-fetched. But have you watched the SEC so far? Florida and Alabama, arguably Kentucky, the best opponents almost will face all year. And Corral shredded them all. So trending or ending, Matt Corral, arguably the best quarterback in the SEC and an SEC player of the year candidate. That is trending and that's not going anywhere. I actually think he's going to keep getting better and better. I mean, he, he does each week. One thing that I'm impressed with about him is just how in command he is out there. Like, I don't know what happened to this kid in, in a year. I mean, he nothing phases him. And when he has an issue, he just throws it away. It's like he, he completely forgot the old, like, reckless Matt, like, 
he and he makes his plays when he when he has to. You know, every now and then he'll roll around like that. That one, I think it was second and twenty something, where he he was kind of rolling out. He just flicked it across field to Elijah Moore. I mean, those are. Those are good plays, you know, and it, I just feel like he's grown so much. I, I, man, he's impressive. He's going to keep getting better and better. That's that's total trending. I don't want to rehash it, but I was watching the ESPN broadcast, and Matt Corral admitted if not for the coaching change, he was going to transfer, which is what I said late into the year last year when we weren't sure whether or not Matt Luke was coming back. And then they kept losing. Matt Corral with Matt Luke was going to transfer. He never admitted that publicly until the ESPN broadcast brought it up that he said it to them in their pregame meetings with the players and the coaches. And now he's the best quarterback for my money in the SEC. Put him on Alabama, put him on Florida. And it's all because he got brand new life under Lane Kiffin, but it just goes to show that it comes down to a perfect marriage. That's where you find the success. That's how a team, a program gets ahead of schedule. And even with Ole Miss at one and two, it's a 10-game All-SEC schedule. Ole Miss is ahead of schedule, at least offensively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he transfers after last season, I don't think I don't think Ole Miss fans even pay much attention to it. I think it's, oh, man, that that's that's no big deal. I mean, you know, then he comes in this year, and you, you see how important it is for, for a kid to be with a, with a um, you know, coach that, that really fits him or whatever. And now, I mean, gosh, thank, thank goodness we don't, this kid didn't go because could you imagine if he went somewhere else and was put up these kind of numbers and, and we would have never known um, you know, how good the kid really is. So, um, yeah, thank goodness he stayed. It goes back to a point I think I made last week. We had been blinded by that regressive offense of Rich Rodriguez or maybe our memories had been wiped from what competent offense and modern-day offense in college football is supposed to look like. Now, in that regressive offense, yeah, John Rice Plumlee was the perfect fit. He can't throw the ball. He's a runner. It's an indictment on the previous staff that this player was being forced as if a square peg into a round hole into that offense when he is the perfect modern-day type of quarterback. He's got enough ability as a runner, but he's got elite arm talent, and the best coaches, the best offensive coaches, can take that kind of arm talent and turn it into production like Lane Kiffin has done with Matt Corral so far through three games. Absolutely. I mean, dude, what else is impressive about him is he's, he seems to be, he's throwing it to the right guy too. Like, right. Can you name many throws throughout these games where he's not throwing it to the guy that's open? I mean, he's, he's forced, he's rarely forced it in there to anybody. So that that's, I mean, that's, that's a good quarterback. I mean, he's, he's, he's hitting the guy, he's hitting the right guys. And that's, that, that takes, not every quarterback can do that, man. That's, that's another thing that's really impressive about him. So, um, you, no, no telling how many other kids have, have went through the, you know, went through the program that they could have been that good if they were the perfect coach. But thank goodness we, we this one didn't slip through because he is um, he's a real talent, man. We'll get right back to Bradley Sow, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight year NFL vet with Ben Ingram of the Braves radio network. Good friend of the pod coming up here shortly on the modern women phone line. After I tell you briefly about Cheney's Pharmacy, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Believe it, the return of Ole Miss football has arrived. The Rebels are playing. Really, it's happening. But as exciting a time as it is, make sure you're staying safe. And that includes trusting that your pharmacy has you taken care of. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years. As red and blue as the Rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. 
Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down. It's not close. So give Cheney's a call. 662-234-7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. Stay safe, enjoy some football, and make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Trending or ending, Kenny Yaboa whose 181 receiving yards are the most ever by an Ole Miss tight end, and he did it against Alabama. He has a receiving touchdown in every game this season. Trending or ending, Kenny Yaboa putting up all-league caliber numbers for the rest of the way. He's trending for, for a couple of reasons. He's target number two. Lane did this at FAU with his tight end. I think it was Harrison some, Harrison something was his Harrison name, Bryant. Yeah, he's with the yep, Browns Harrison now. Harrison Bryant. Yep, and he did. I mean, dude put up the same numbers. Lane knows how to use the tight end. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, he, he's, he's literally our number two target uh, besides more. And, uh, with his size and his athleticism, he's going to keep torching. He's going to keep torching the SEC. I mean, they, you can't cover this kid. He's made himself a lot of money. Transferring to Ole Miss was the perfect decision for him. He's second in the SEC only to Kyle Pitts, if you're talking about ranking the tight ends. And now yeah. he's put himself on the NFL radar because of his catch radius. He doesn't have elite speed. He doesn't have really top-end speed, but he can block. Got good hands, good catch radius. That plays in the NFL. Another thing that, that's really cool about this is if I'm out there and I'm the number, number one tight end in the nation or I think I'm the number one tight end in the nation or I'm a big-time tight end, and I'm looking around saying, hey, where can I, where can I go? You know, Kenny Yaboa, they, that it's, it's great we have him this year. He's going to put up big numbers, but this should certainly help us land – one of the top tight ends. Yeah. It, it just shows you Kiffin that Kiffin knows how to scheme it up for him. If you want to come to Ole Miss and catch a thousand yards as a tight end and go in the first round, here's your opportunity right here in the SEC. Now let's play this out a little bit more in recruiting. Think about this. Recruiting defensive players has got to be the easiest thing in the world right now for Ole Miss. No doubt. You can say, hey, look, man, pick your spot. You could be a starter from day one. Because Ole Miss does not have SEC caliber players on the defensive side of the ball outside of maybe four, five? That's stretching it. But then transfers. Kenny Yaboa, Tavius Robinson. Those are two examples of transfers that immediately started. Came in, got cleared, Ole Miss got them cleared, and they started. And Kenny Yaboa is having tremendous success. So if you're a transfer out there, I mean, Otis Reese would be starting right now if not for the NCAA playing games with him. And he would help this defense, but one guy cannot fix the ills of this terrible defense. Fabian Lovett and Jerry and Jones would have certainly helped, but those three added to this defense maybe prevent 40 less yards <laughs> against Alabama because <laughs> you still don't yeah. have enough SEC caliber talent. But the point remains recruiting-wise, you can recruit defensive players because you can guarantee play time and transfers out there that are looking for greener pastures. Ole Miss can offer that to you, and Lane Kiffin has proven even just with three games, that if you transfer here, if you transfer to Ole Miss, you'll step in and you'll be productive. Look at what Kenny Yaboa did at Temple last year. Only, I think, 300-something yards receiving, two touchdowns. And look at him now. Yeah, as I'm sitting at that game, I'm receiving text messages from all over the U.S. I mean, friends from anywhere from, from Illinois to Washington to Arizona. I mean, they're texting me, man, wow, Ole Miss is looking good. 
it was a great showing for Ole Miss last night nationally. I mean, I know we didn't win that game, but everybody watching, I mean, it was a primetime game. They saw what Ole Miss is, the momentum Ole Miss is building. And every every offensive player, I can see them wanting to get in on this offense and just see how fun and creative it was. And if you're looking at it from the defensive side of the ball, some defensive tackle, some safety, others going, hey, man, that offense is always going to be good. I'll go there and help that defense out. And we can, you know, we can beat Alabama next year. So, um, but what you got to hope for is the players that we have continue to get better. The ones that are going to be around and, and work their tails off to get as good as they can get. And we add in a, a, a whole bunch of other really good players with it and try to get something serviceable on the defensive side. Cause what's out there right now, I don't, I don't even know what that is. That's not even the serviceable, a serviceable defense. And it's, oh, no, um, it's the worst I, I defense I in the country. It's, that's just, I, yeah, at this I mean, point it, though, you just accept it. It just is what it is. I know that's so cliche, but it's true with this defense and the personnel at their disposal it is what it is. But you touched on another great point for the next trending or ending, momentum. If you watch Lane Kiffin, he gets it, man. He knows how to market his program. Yeah. With local media, we're kind of nothing to him, which is fine. I, I don't care. He gives us enough for us to do our jobs. But what you see with Lane Kiffin locally compared to when he goes on a national radio show, podcast, whatever, it's a totally different personality because he knows how to play it to a bigger audience. He knows how to play social media. And he also is doing something that was lost under Hugh Freeze that came back a little bit under Matt Luke, but he is going hard after right now. And that's reaching out to former players, wearing the masks that had DK Metcalf for you know a quarter, and then it's Patrick Willis. These are all calculated things that he's doing. And when you combine that with the product on the field that is exciting that gets all of college football talking. Everybody in college football was paying attention to that game. Even in a loss, you built momentum. You had stories written about you. He is building momentum with this program in short order and making Ole Miss fun and making Ole Miss nationally relevant based on his own public relations savvy that he's creating for himself. So trending or ending, Ole Miss and its momentum as a nationally relevant, fun type of program that everybody's paying attention to. Yeah, that's certainly trending, and that's that's just that's just Kiffin's nature. You have to wonder if he has some if he has someone full on staff like helping him think of all this stuff because for him to be doing his job at a, such a level that he's doing it at, and be able to throw in like all the extra fun stuff. I mean, if he's doing this all on his own, I, I would be shocked because that's that's impressive. He just goes out there and shreds Alabama all while thinking about changing his mask to, yeah. to different <laughs> former players and stuff. If if he's that. If he's that calculated, that, that this this dude's a real real deal. So um, yeah, I mean, I could see that trend, and he's he he gets it. I mean, he's younger. He's he gets the common trends. I mean, who wouldn't want to come play for Lane Kiffin right now? Let's be honest. Yeah, that's the thing. Who wouldn't want to play for this guy? Because it's fun. It's a really good point about the former players. You're right. The game plan, and you're out there, and you're putting it on Alabama, and yet you're getting a shout out from DK Metcalf because you got his number on your face mask. That's what the best kind of coach does. He's able to handle all aspects of the program, and I think it shows growth of Lane Kiffin. And this is Overreaction Monday, so we can be overly effusive if we want to be in the praise of Lane Kiffin, but it's hard not to be. Everybody remembers the failures of Lane Kiffin at USC, at Tennessee, whatever. FAU was huge for him, and he's admitted that it helped him grow as a coach to understand how to overall manage a program. Now, there are still some problems at Ole Miss right now, organizational stuff, but part of what he's talking about is marketing your brand. If you're watching Ole Miss right now and you're watching Auburn, which one is more fun for you? If you're watching Ole Miss and you're watching LSU right now, which is more fun for you? Ole Miss draws eyeballs 
and it draws eyeballs because of Lane Kiffin. No other coach would have been able to do this for Ole Miss. And he's doing it while being one and two. Imagine once he actually gets recruiting classes in for that defense, and that defense can at least be league average to prop up an offense that's among the best in the country, that set historic numbers against Alabama, that did to Nick Saban what no other program has ever done to Nick Saban, or a Nick Saban defense specifically. No one's done that to Nick Saban. And Lane Kiffin did. And think about the buildup to the game, Brad. When he goes on Dan Patrick, jokes about how Nick Saban couldn't cover him. That kind of stuff in the age of social media, in the face mask with the numbers like DK Metcalf, in the age of social media, that's the kind of stuff that builds your brand and gives your program momentum. And he has mastered it. Ole Miss right now, on this Monday, is still being talked about in college football. And people are excited to watch Ole Miss in Arkansas, a game in the preseason, if you looked at it, you'd say, oh, that's going to be a chore of a game between two pretty terrible teams. But now, Arkansas, they're showing improvement. Sam Pittman, he's doing a hell of a job. And now that game is intriguing. Ole Miss is the biggest draw in that game, and it's all because of Lane Kiffin. Yeah, no doubt about it. I th- think about the amount of kids in Mississippi that look up to DK Metcalf right now. I mean, he's yeah. absolutely balling. And, and all of a sudden, Lane Kiffin puts a mask on his number on there. DK gets on Twitter, which he probably has a gazillion followers. He says, you know, hey, Lane, appreciate the shout out. Well, dude, I mean, that's so calculated that I mean, I don't know that he would have ever thought. Of, I mean, who would think of something <laughs> like that? That's and that's just that's just genius. Yeah. I mean, dude, I mean, DK Metcalf is, the, is the, probably the, the fastest rising star in the NFL right now. And hey, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put his name on my mask so every Mississippi kid can see that that looks up to him, and I know that you know that could get me something. In Mississippi. I mean, just dude, dude, that's just that's just impressive to say the least. All right, keep getting off track. I'm sorry. Trending or ending? Snoop Connor led Ole Miss in rushing. I know where this is going. You've been singing his praises for two weeks. You've campaigned for him as the best all around Ole Miss running back and the better NFL prospect of him and Jerrion Ely. Trending or ending? Snoop Connor as Ole Miss's lead back moving forward. Listen, you saw it on the big stage versus the best team in the SEC. And this is it's no knock on Ely. It really isn't. I mean, he's he's a good player, too. He put up great stats, too. I, I certainly enjoy having both of them. But when Ole Miss needs it, when they really need it, Snoop Connor's the guy that should have the ball in his hands, and that was proven. Um, man, when, when, whenever he gets going, that's the performance by him was the closest to a Deuce McAllister type thing where he was just making play after play, and the whole crowd was, you know, Snoop all night. I mean, he's just a a heck of a back. He provides energy all out there. I mean, he runs the ball so hard, so physical. He, ne- he never really goes down the first hit. And um, when they needed it, Snoop Connor had the ball in his hands. No knock on Ely. Ely, I, I love having him here. He's a heck of a player as well. I, I mean, I think we have two excellent backs. But, you know, Snoop is Snoop is the guy whenever, whenever I'm rolling my ones out there. It actually helps Ely if Snoop's the lead guy because it settles him into a complementary role that better fits his skill set incorporating him into the passing game. And you're right about the Deuce McAllister stuff. When he went up and over on that one-yard plunge, I had Deuce flashbacks. I did. The Deuce leap, Snoop did it. That's two 100-yard rushers, but it was because Snoop got settled in. In the second half, he opened as the number one running back because I think Lane saw that too. His production opened up Jerion's production and now there are so many more options that you can attack a defense with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think they both benefit each other, but um, I just think, man, Snoop, when Snoop gets going, it has a special look to it. It really does. And he is, um, when you need it, Snoop Connor's the man. This is all I'm going to say about it. 
All right, before we jump to Ben Ingram, because my Braves are in the NLCS. He's a big Ole Miss guy, but for you Braves fans out there, this is going to blow your mind. The last time the Braves won a postseason series, sophomore Eli Manning was in his first year starting at Ole Miss. He has since retired and is going to be inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. It's been that long since the Braves have been here, have won a postseason series, and they've won two. I'm excited. But now that we've done all the trending and ending, got Ben Ingram coming up. After watching what you saw on Saturday, knowing that the best two opponents on the schedule are now behind Ole Miss, does it change a record projection at all, prediction in any way? I think Ole Miss goes no worse than five and two for the rest of the year. I really don't. And that's that, that's just being respectful, saying, hey, there's going to be a team that gets us. And if we looked up and Ole Miss won the rest of them, I, I wouldn't be shocked one bit. I really wouldn't. I mean, the offense is, is Lane Kiffin's so good at exposing these, these defenses, man. I mean, offense is going to keep putting up the numbers. Um, you just hope our defense can come up with some grimy stops. Just like, I mean, that's two weeks in a row on the goal line. We, we've taken, taken the ball away. So, I mean, yeah, there's, it's historically bad, but I mean, a player or two like that here and there um, w- w- would certainly help. And even when we stopped them on third down, that's been, you know, a couple times this happened where we got a penalty that, that took us off the field. So, or, or that gave them a, a touchdown going in. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that, that, um, you know, we could get better on there. So, I mean, if we can get some stops and I mean, I could see us for sure, um, you know, winning out or, or no worse than five and two, I think, I think we're really going to compete down the stretch here. Before the year, if I'd have said, I'll give you five and five, Ole Miss fans would have taken it, build the statue for Lane Kiffin. And now it would be a letdown if Ole Miss didn't win six or seven games for how well they're playing offensively. I think five wins is the floor for them now. And if you're a bowl rep, what team would you want other than, of course, Alabama, Georgia, Florida? What other team in the SEC would you want more to market your bowl more than Ole Miss? If you're the Music City Bowl, if you're the Belk Bowl, if you're the Gator Bowl, the Outback Bowl, what team would you want more than a Lane Kiffin-led Ole Miss team and an offense with a quarterback that, in my opinion, is the best in the SEC? It's crazy how far they've come in three games or how far they've changed perception of a lot of people, including myself, in three games. And they lost by 16 and were this enthusiastic about them on Monday. An overreaction Monday. But that's where we are. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley Sow, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. Tell me I'm terrible. Say bad things if you need to. Or say good things. Whatever it is, make sure it's a five-star review. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. It's time now to talk to Ben Ingram, Ole Miss guy, play-by-play man for the Braves Radio Network. The Braves are in the NLCS. He's going to join us on the Modern Woodman phone line. But first, I say bye to Brad. Bye, Brad. See you, buddy. Hotty toddy. Let's hear from BNA Bank and Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Celebrate! Ole Miss football, it's here. We made it. We made it. Yeah, the season looks a little different, but some normalcy has returned. Now's as good a time as any then to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. 
Think about it. Riding around in your new Jeep Gladiator, your old Miss Car Flag flying on your way to see the Rebels play, can you believe it, in style. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford has you covered. And no, you don't have to worry about COVID-19. They're open for all of your vehicle needs, taking extra precautions to ensure your car buying process is as seamless and safe as possible. Even better, they're offering customers the opportunity to purchase a vehicle completely over the phone or the internet with a delivery to your home. You pick out the vehicle you like. Simply contact them by phone, email, through the website, and they'll prepare the paperwork. Review it with you on the phone and bring it and your vehicle to your home to finalize. So what are you waiting for? Why not? Why not now? Give them a call. 662-638-0044. That's 662-638-0044. Visit them online at allensamuelsoxford.com or see them in person. Socially distance, of course, at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. The Atlanta Braves. Our Atlanta Braves are in the National League Championship Series for the first time since 2001. And yes, Ole Miss football is now three games into the 2020 season. But Oxford, Mississippi, that's Braves country. And Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network, friend of the pod, Ole Miss fan, Mississippi native. You've had a front row seat to the postseason breakthrough that's been a long time coming. So we have to talk about it. Ben, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. You know what? As you're saying that, you're kind of merging two of my passions, baseball and and Ole Miss football. And I'm thinking the last time the Braves did this, Eli was what, a sophomore? Yeah. Come on, 01? I mean, that that really puts it into perspective how long it's been. So I'm fired up, man. Cannot wait. Yeah, 2001, I think, was his first year starting. Eli's first year starting at Ole Miss. Yeah, and now he's retired in a Hall of Famer. And finally, (laughs) the Braves have broken through in the postseason. It's such an exciting time, man. And to be honest, I was good after the Braves shut out the Reds in back-to-back games for their first postseason series win in 19 years. Just the sense of relief of having that monkey off the back of the franchise. That was good enough for me, but now... After sweeping the Marlins in three games, the longest winning streak, I think five since 1999, third longest in franchise history, four shutouts in five-game span, matching only the 1905 Giants for a single postseason. Now I want to win the whole thing. They're two series wins away yeah. from a title. What a sentence to say. It, it really is. And, and the thing that's so cool about what we just witnessed is not only do they win, that's the best part of it, but they're such a dangerous team. And the Dodgers have been the standard in the National League for years. And, and they're the team that you, that you measure yourself up against. 
I think anytime you've gone through the off season over the last four or five years, not just the Braves, anybody, anybody that makes a big move, anybody that expects to contend it, anybody that expects to win their division, the standard you, you've measured yourself up against is the Dodgers. And while I still say that the Dodgers are probably the most complete team in baseball, the Braves are not that far behind. I think that when it comes to comparing these two teams, you give the nod to the Dodgers with their starting pitching, but I don't see an advantage that the Dodgers have with their lineup and their lineup depth. I don't see an advantage that they have in their bullpen. Uh, I, I don't see a damage or a uh, uh, any kind of um, defensive advantage that they have over the Braves. So, yes, yeah, starting pitching is the name of the game. I'd give them a nod there, but this is a very, very complete Braves team, and they're capable of lots of damage. Right. The Dodgers unbeaten just like the Braves in the postseason, but the Braves, if you want to compare offenses, only scored one less run than the Dodgers in 60 games. And you speak of the pitching, Ben. I was one of those vocal critics of Alex Anthropoulos when he didn't make a single move at the trade deadline to address a starting rotation plagued by injury and poor performance. But Max Fried has continued his strong work. Ian Anderson came up and has been masterful in eight starts, a sub-two ERA. Kyle Wright returned from the alternate training site, a completely different pitcher, aided by Josh Tomlin's advice to move to the other side of the pitching rubber. Six scoreless in his postseason debut. Collective staff and bullpen ERA, <laughs> .92. Through 49 postseason innings, their five runs allowed, tied with the 1983 Orioles for the second fewest ever through five postseason games. The Braves entered the postseason ranked 28th out of the 30 MLB clubs in starting pitcher ERA, but Freed, Anderson combined for a 2.14 ERA in the regular season. That's why they're here. It is, and it's contagious. I mean, we knew that going into the postseason that Max Freed was going to be your guy. Uh, after that, what could you expect out of Ian Anderson? I don't know. We've seen good things out of him. But at the same time, he had only made six regular season starts, and it's hard to ask someone with that little experience in the big leagues to go out there in game two and be dominant against a big league lineup. And then furthermore, Kyle Wright, Look, he was able to punctuate his season with some really good starts right there at the end, but he had been wildly inconsistent leading up to that, and not just this year, but in the last two years, uh, anytime he got the opportunity. So you just didn't know what you were going to get, and, and I was right there with you. It was frustrating that nothing could be done at the trade deadline. I understood why uh, in a regular season with 162 games, I think perhaps you could have made a move and made it easier, but given that you would have had somebody for a one-month rental and what you would have had to have given up, I mean, I look at the haul that the Padres gave up to the Indians for Mike Clevenger, and he couldn't even go for him. Uh, injured. You just, you just never know, and you just hate that nothing worked out in your favor there, but you had to go with what you had, and not only did those guys come around at the right time and peaked at the right time, whatever happens in this NLCS and beyond, you know that you go into the next two or three seasons with a rock-solid group of young guys who you really aren't even paying yet, Ben. That's the best thing. You, can, you, have, you, can, you have money that you can pay Marcelo Zuna to try to come back. You'll have money to try to bring back Mark Melanson should you want. Uh, you'll have Cole Hamels coming off the books, and you're, you're paying Soroka, Freed, Anderson, Wright, league minimum uh, or just above it. So to me, that's where it's such a tremendous deal. Uh, having these guys as, as young as they are, as controllable as they are, and as good as they are, not only gives you hope for the here and now in the NLCS and hopefully the World Series, but I think it really sets the standard and the bar very high for what your expectations are for 2021, for 2022, for 2023. Uh, having these guys all between the ages of 22 and 26 right now is just really amazing, and uh, you can never have enough of it. And those guys have done some amazing things, and uh, I, I – 
one of my favorite things about this game at the major league level is watching young guys learn how to win, watching them mature, watch them from start 10 to start 30, start 30 to start 50 in their major league career, and watching that process. And it doesn't happen for all of them. Uh, that's why you really appreciate it when it does, because I watched this with Mike Fultonovich. I watched this with Sean Newcomb. I watched this with Tukey Tucson, and it just has not materialized. But it has for Ian Anderson, and it's starting to for Kyle Wright, and it definitely has for Max Freed. And, and that is one of the most enjoyable things from my perspective to watch on an individual level for this game is watching young pitchers learn to win and seeing them do that collectively here in 2020 at the right time has been really amazing it has been it's been the most welcome sight to see for Ian Anderson who I had doubts about just start shoving it from day one and then Kyle Wright who's so important for this organization going forward figuring it out and you're right about the deadline, what you would have had to give up. The sanctions that the Braves got from Major League Baseball has depleted a farm system that was among the best in baseball. But a lot of those guys have been promoted, and they don't have all the avenues at their disposal that other organizations have in order to accrue talent. So if you give up Drew Waters, if you give up Christian Pache, whoever it might be, all of a sudden that farm system is now at the back end of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And... For the Braves, they probably just weighed, okay, what we got compared to what we'd have to give up and what you're going to be getting back. Yeah, it's probably not worth it this year. Let's just go with what we got because it's a good club and it's been bared out. Mm-hmm. And that's where Alex, in my opinion, is so level-headed and so good. It's easy for us as fans to say, do whatever you got to do to make the trade. Think about the here and now. Um, these guys are refreshing to me because under the previous two general managers, you know, we'll have conversations about what's out there, what's possible for the team. And even if you were to get a a good answer, it might not be exactly what you're going to expect. It might be very generic in nature. Alex has always been extremely transparent with us. And what I think that he and his staff do the very best of all the things that they do in that, that entail of their job is, they will not be swayed by the emotions of the time. And what I mean by that is, is if they had a report on a guy, if they weren't all that high on a guy and they need to make a trade and that guy is all that's out there, they're not just going to go make a trade for the sake of making a trade. And I've watched other general managers do that. And a lot of times it blows up in their face or it has long-term repercussions to their organization. And it takes them a long time to bounce back. And those GMs, Uh, They're a couple of bad moves away from being out of a job. Uh, I think it's such a tricky job and it's such a tough job to evaluate at the level that you have to evaluate and the accuracy that you have to evaluate. It's so difficult to evaluate these players at any level and know exactly what they are, what they're going to be, what they could mean to your organization, or even what their value is in, in what trading them might mean for your organization. Uh, and, and, and I love that they will, they will make the trade if they have to make the trade, if they are true on a guy, if their reports are uh, high enough on a guy. But if that's the only guy that's out there, they weren't all that high on him, they're not just going to pull the trigger just for the sake of making a trade. And I, I think that's a very wise way to go about running a baseball team, especially one like the Braves, where, yeah, you can spend some money, but you're nowhere near the neighborhood of the Dodgers, Red Sox, and Yankees, where you can buy your way out of a bad trade, buy your way out of a bad free agent signing or something like that. They don't really have that luxury. So it, it's it's certainly more of a tightrope for, for Alex and the rest of the staff there. Not near as thin as the tightrope that maybe Oakland and Tampa have, but a tightrope nonetheless that I've been impressed with how they've walked. It's what makes it funny when you see all the Cinderella stories about the Padres. While the Braves you just kind of assume now because they've won the division three straight years that, oh, they're supposed to be in the playoffs. They're breaking through. The real Cinderella story is the Braves. The Padres right. had the 10th highest payroll in baseball. 
And they were active as all could be at the trade deadline, but the Braves, with a far smaller payroll, they've done this as the Rays do this. It only seems right that it's the Dodgers the Braves have to get past to to get to the World Series, right? So they lost two and four in the NLDS in both 2018 and 2013. You won it all, got to beat the Dodgers, got to beat the best. You got to overcome the beast. Yeah, and I don't think the players would have it any other way. I had somebody text me yesterday in the first inning of that Dodgers-Padres game and said, who would you like to play? It'd be great if the Padres came back and made this a series. I said, to be honest with you, I, I want to beat the Dodgers. I want to play the Dodgers. That's the best team. Uh, and, and I would hate to, look, you take a World Series run, however you can take it, doesn't matter who you get. But if, if, if it's up to me, I'd rather beat the team that's been the standard in the National League. I'd rather beat the team that is expected to get there. I think everybody thought it was a foregone conclusion that the Dodgers would get back to the World Series this year and win it, and they may. They're certainly good enough to. I think a lot of people felt like if they don't do it, it'll be because they lost it, not that somebody beat them out. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that that has been the standard that – this team in Atlanta has looked at from afar for the last several years, especially since 2018. And, and what I saw in this series with the Braves and the Marlins really, really brought back memories of where the Braves were two years ago, 2018, the Braves weren't supposed to win the division. They did with a, with a mm -hmm. rock star group of young players that were way ahead of schedule. When they got on the field with the Dodgers, the Dodgers were by far the better team. Uh, there, there was no doubt about that. And you got to see up close what it looked like to be elite in major league baseball. And, and I think the Braves knew, okay, this is, I don't, they would never say they're happy to be here, but at the same time, they knew they had reached their ceiling. They knew that they were uh, going to go as far as they could. And that, that, that this Dodgers team was the team for them to really set their targets on over the next few seasons and think to themselves that they could eventually be there. They could eventually be to that level uh, because of the youth in the Braves clubhouse. And, and now we're two years later, and we're starting to see that. We're seeing Freddie Freeman in what I think is going to be an MVP season. We're seeing Ronald Acuna look like an MVP. They've added Marcelo Zuna, who in any other year could be an MVP because he's the home run leader and RBI leader for his team. And at the same time, we've, we've watched the young pitching develop, and they're starting to get into the realm of, where the Dodgers were, where they had young pitchers, where they can develop young guys that can become aces. Every team has a number one starter, but not every team has an ace. And I think for the last several years, the Braves are in a position where they didn't have an ace. Sure, they had a number one, but there are no aces to be found. But you're starting to see that with some of these younger guys. You certainly had that with Mike Sirocco. And, and if he were healthy, uh, I would be leaning hard towards the Braves winning this series as the clear favorite. Right now, I'm not so certain because uh, I think it's it's a really tight battle. But um, I, I'm excited about where these young guys are. And I, I think that going back to your point, this is the team that they'd like to go through. This is the team that they've had on their minds for a long time. We'll get right back to Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network in this edition of Talk of Champions. I have to tell you briefly about Modern Woodman. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions.
Now, the Braves haven't quite been themselves offensively in the postseason, but my gosh, Travis Darno. Marcelo Zuna led the league, like you mentioned, in home runs. Freddie Freeman, he should be the NL MVP. Ronnie is a superstar, but Travis Darno, 11 million over two years, counting his 3 million protracted for this season, has been every bit the still of Marcelo Zuna's one-year $18 million deal from his defense to carrying the Braves with his bat in the Marlins series. He's been, I'd say, the star of the postseason for the Braves so far. Yeah, he is. And the postseason, Ben, is littered with guys like that. I mean, you think about the MVPs that you've seen in years past. I mean, I think about Eddie Perez or Mark Lemke for the Braves or uh, you think about Ed Sprague and uh, Jim Layritz and just so many guys who aren't the guy. Uh, they're not the star of the team. But this isn't like basketball where I can pass the ball to Michael Jordan or LeBron James every possession. I, everybody's got to come to the plate. And, and it's going to be uh, guys like Steve Pierce who come out of nowhere and have a big game. Uh, it, it can't be the star every single time. And if I'm an opposing pitcher, if I'm an opposing uh, pitching coach and I'm looking at this Braves lineup, this is the strength of, of all strengths for this team, in my opinion. I don't know where to go to get an out. Even if I neutralize Acuna, Freeman, and Ozuna, one, two, three, there are guys, even at the back of the order with Duvall, seven, Riley, nine. These are guys who can hit tanks. I mean, these are 20 home run guys that are batting towards the bottom of the order. And to me, that's what's been so difficult with the Dodgers the last few years because they had guys who are getting paid eight, nine, ten million dollars a year sitting on their bench. I mean, they had guys who could hit seven, eight, nine or coming off, come off the bench late who would be starting for most other teams hitting in the middle of the order. They had that kind of depth. And I felt like that's where the Braves were completely overmatched a couple of years ago because they just did not have that depth. Now you do. And, and, and we saw that in the ball game in game two with the Marlins where uh, Acuna, Freeman, and Ozuna were silent. And, and you, here's Dansby with a home run. Here's Darno with a home run. Uh, here's Nick Markakis with a double. Here's Austin Riley with an oppo single. Uh, they, they have guys top to bottom that make it so deep, and, and that's the challenge because even if you have a successful trip to the order one time, you flip that order again, there, there's no place for rest. I mean, it's, it's got to be exhausting for an opposing pitching coach to scout. It's got to be exhausting for an opposing battery to maneuver through and attempt to execute through. So uh, out of all these aces that we've seen them take on this year, and there's a lot of them because uh, even just the NL East, the AL East, they ran through Garrett Cole, gave him his shortest start of the year, uh, beat Max Scherzer, really the only guy that they struggled with and continue to struggle with is Jacob DeGrom. That's the only guy who really shoves against the Braves. Outside of that, they've had lots of success against these aces. So to me, that's the, the matchup that I can't wait for because the Dodgers have some aces in Bueller and Kershaw, and they're extremely deep, and they run out May and Gratterall and, and uh, Jansen and all these big-time arms out of their bullpen, and, and that's not going to be easy to maneuver through that Braves lineup. Ian Anderson has thrown 764 pitches as a big leaguer. Only one has left the yard. Freed was sixth in the majors. Anderson, five and two, 1.43 ERA since he debuted in August. And they've been backed up by, inarguably, in my opinion, the best bullpen in baseball. That's the formula that's gotten them this far. And that's the formula for the Dodgers, right? Simple as it sounds. Keep the ball in the ballpark best you can in that cavernous park in Arlington and generate offense beyond the long ball, which is what the Braves have proven better to be at doing than the Dodgers in the regular season. It's truly strength on strength, isn't it? Because what, what do the Braves and the Dodgers both do well? Hit home runs and bring out flamethrowers from the bullpen. And, and if you can hit bombs and hand a lead to those bullpens, it, it might not be as easy uh, done as said, 
but it's such an easy blueprint to draw up. Let me hit my bombs. The three-run home run is my best friend, um, and, and I hand that lead to a bullpen, and that is going to win so many times. I think there's been one game this entire postseason. I think it was game two of the Dodgers-Padres series where the team that hit the most home runs lost the game. Um, and, and that's just, it's just so rare. So, and that's what these two teams do the best. That's baseball in 2020, Ben. I mean, home runs are through the roof. Strikeouts are through the roof. Launch angle is the name of the game. All these guys are swinging for the gaps. They're swinging for the fences. And, uh, if you have a team that top to bottom can do that with guys throwing a hundred coming out of the bullpen, which is crazy now because everybody throws freaking a hundred miles an hour now. It's unbelievable. I think if you took a player from the 1930s, put him in a time machine and sent them to the modern day era, they would be absolutely mind melted by how many guys throw a hundred. Uh, but that's, that's the name of the game now. And that's what these two teams do extremely well. And I think that's why it's going to be such a, a long grind them out series because I expect six or seven games. I expect each game to be long uh, because we're going to see home runs. We're going to see uh, guys going deep in counts, guys trying to grind and foul off pitches and work up the pinch count of, of the starting pitchers that are in there that night. These two teams look in the mirror, they see each other. They Everything that one does well, the other does well as well. So uh, I think it's going to be one heck of a matchup. Tyler Matzik's story is pretty special. One-time top prospect out of baseball because of the yips, comes back with the Braves, and now he's referred to by his teammates as the Death Star. The MVP, in my opinion, of Game 1 against the Reds in the Red Series. Where did the nickname come from, and why Death Star for Tyler Matzik? I, I don't. I really don't know, and, and and that's one of the things I've wanted to ask those guys, but we don't get any access to the players this year. I'm not sure because if he's because uh, he has no hair, <laughs> I have no idea. Hey, secret weapon, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, the guy that you didn't expect, it's, it's a weapon that surprises you. Because when we saw him at spring training, I remember a conversation I had with Walt Weiss about him. Uh, because it, it, his name was interesting, um, but we didn't know a whole lot about him. And I said, Walt, you had him when you were at Colorado. And he's like, well, that, he's pretty much, I'm pretty much the reason he's here. Because when it comes to spring training, you bring in arms. You want to take a look at guys and, and see what they have. And, and Walt had a really good account of him when he was managing with the Rockies. And, and this guy was a starter at one point. He was a number one prospect in the Rockies organization at one point as well. So he knew how good his stuff could be. So there's no nothing wrong with giving that guy a look at spring training. And from, from day one, he starts rolling. And you're thinking, okay, well, you know that you got a lefty in Will Smith. You're looking for another guy. And there are a few other guys that I thought might emerge. But we weren't talking about Matzik. Well, after we saw him two or three times, all of a sudden, we, we keep asking Smith, like, what do you think about Matzik? He's like, man, it looks really good. Um, and once you got about halfway through spring training, right before we shut down with COVID, uh, he had made a believer out of everybody to the tune of we think he's going to get a job and uh, you, you can't keep him out of the bullpen. Well, here we are. And I mean, this, this guy is getting humongous opportunities, high leverage situations, getting huge outs, pitching his way through damage. And I'd say that the, the surge that he has made along with AJ mentor have been enormous for this team because I expected good things been out of Will Smith. I had expectations for Shane Green and Mark Melanson and, and Chris Martin. Those are the guys you expect to get big timeouts late in ball games. But w when it comes to where AJ mentor was and also where, uh, uh, where Tyler Matzik came from, nobody saw that. I, I think when, when you are injured or when you're ineffective in the big leagues, brother, you're out of sight, out of mind. 
I mean, the second that you're ineffective consistently, people push you aside and, and they don't really think about you anymore. And to me, that's where both of those guys came from. I had, I had pretty much, much written off AJ mentor. I just didn't think that he'd be able to bounce back. And sure enough, he has. And those two guys have been electric weapons out of the Braves bullpen. Well, last one here. I think I'm happiest, obviously, for Freddie. He was a big part of those last few Braves teams before the rebuild. And then he had to toil through some of the ugly, ugly years. I mean, he's got to be the happiest guy in the locker room right now. I I think back to four and five years ago, as much as I don't want to, uh, with 14, 15, 16 uh, 14, they had high expectations, and they were just a terrible second-half team. 15, they were one of the worst baseball teams I've ever seen, uh, and likewise, most of 2016. <laughs> and in the, in the midst of all that, Ben, was, was Freddie Freeman. It was Freddie Freeman and 24 other guys. And anytime we needed something, anytime we needed uh, somebody to speak for the team, anytime we needed an interview, it had to be Freddie. Because I, nobody wanted, nobody knew any of the other guys. Yeah, well, what were you going to really do? Get Adonis hear- Garcia? I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm not walking up to Matt Marksbury for a, a big-time one-on-one or Donnie Veal or some of these other names. Like, it's Freddie and the guys. And, and Freddie wore that so well, and there had to have been times, Ben, where he was exhausted with that. He was the face of the team. Uh, I think he was still – I mean, he was still young. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was 25, 26 at the time, still learning. And I bet there were times where he was thinking, what am I still doing here? Why am I still in Atlanta? We're, we're going nowhere. Our general manager just got run out of baseball – uh, that we're in, we're in bad shape. We haven't had a winner in years and, and the prime of my career is being wasted. He never said that in or off a microphone, but I know that he, I know that he had to have thought it because you and I, if we're in his shoes, we would have thought the same thing. What am I doing here? Um, so to, to see this for him, uh, to see him stick through it, I'm sure it's extremely rewarding. And, and, and I think it's a, it's a good sign of the, of what real life is in major league baseball. You're, you're not guaranteed. You're not owed to be a winner every single year. You're not owed your health. You're not owed to be a winner. You're not owed to be surrounded by uh, stars who are equally as good as you that can help you succeed. You're not owed any of that. And, and, and Freddie understands that. And he fought through those tough years and now looks around at that clubhouse. And I just can't imagine what goes on in his mind when he sees the, the other guys in the clubhouse now compared to what the other guys in the clubhouse were four and five years ago, night and day difference. And I know he's enjoying every day of this. Braves in the NLCS, Ole Miss giving you reason for optimism. I just need one thing. Can we bring back the gray pants, please? Yeah, I knew it. football team. You're not the only one that has said this to me, my friend. Not the only one. (laughs) It's the the most beautiful uniform in college football. Powder blue helmets, navy blue helmets. I like both. I like the red, white, and blue tops. Give me the gray pants. It's the best thing in college football. So has Kiffin made you a believer? I mean, just the work with Matt Corral alone, that's impressive enough. I knew he had an arm. Uh, we got to see that last year in that egg bowl. I mean, I think about that throw that he had on fourth and 24, whatever it was. We knew he had an arm. He just needed somebody to get in there and, and guide him in the right direction. And, and I try not to think about it too much because I think about all the talent that was there with Metcalf and Knox and yeah. Brown and everybody else. And, and yeah. I'm thinking if you had given that kind of engine to this coach, uh, they just set records that would have been broken for years, uh, <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been uh 
and, and, and he's, he's fun to, to listen to. Uh, ben, the, the interview that he did on TV after the win versus Kentucky, where he says, well, it was good to get a win, but I think we gave up a thousand yards of rushing or yeah. whatever it was. Like I, I'd have to be uh, really laughing, but yeah, the, I'm, the defense has a long way to go, but the offense has been a blast. And uh, it, it's good to know that they're going to be able to score enough points and be exciting and fun to watch and uh, excited for uh, what Kiffin could do at Ole Miss. He's Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network. Man, what a time. Keep up the good work, and uh, thanks for doing this on short notice, no less. It's been a fun ride. Let's keep it going, and if they make the World Series, I am going to come to Arlington, so drinks on me. And you got it. We'll have to do this again for a special World Series preview at that point.